Welcome to Pick Me Up, I'm Scared, the podcast. I'm your host, Madeline. And I'm your co-host, Kenna. Kenna, it's our first episode back after taking a little end of your break. Whoop, whoop. I'm afraid. (laughs) (laughs) I am too. Of what the future holds. I'm afraid of the future. Hopefully it will be a good year for podcasting now. Yeah. I think so. Okay, so do you remember when we did the episode about danger and fear? Oh, yeah. And I asked you at the beginning what you thought would be the thing most likely to kill you in your life. Do you remember? Oh, yeah. Uh, was I like car crash? Yeah, <laughs> I think you said car crash. Um, heart disease? Yeah, it, it actually was heart disease, but <laughs> car crash was a good answer. And I um, wanted to kind of circle back to that because driving is super dangerous. So that was actually a really good guess. It's so dangerous. I'm like, I'm just always amazed driving in like California heavy traffic sometimes that it's not just like, uh, Mad Max style, like piles of flaming cars on the side of the road um, for as many uh, wild drivers as there are here. I mean, I definitely have seen cars on fire on the side of the road. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I have too. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, but it's not happening all the time. No, no, just a little, little, a little special treat. Yeah, every yeah. Now and then. yeah, it's a special treat. Uh, well, we didn't talk too much about like driving danger in that episode because we were talking more about like fear of crime and you know something about death by hot services and lightning or whatever. Uh, but yeah, every year, one point three five million people die in motor vehicle related accidents worldwide, which is around thirty seven hundred people per day, making it a leading cause of death. Whoa. Yeah. Um, And even without death, the average person will crash their car three to four times in their life. Um, I have only gotten into car accidents, and they were both when I was 17. So knock on wood. You're doing all right. You have two left in you. No. Before you're out. Safe. (laughs) (laughs) No. I want to beat the odds. (laughs) I mean, I'm kind of the same way. When I was a teenager, I was in an accident on the freeway where a semi-truck tried to change lanes into me. Like, my car was in the blind spot. So then I flipped into, like, the next over lane, turned signal and everything, but the car behind me was speeding super fast and just plowed straight into the back of the car. Like, they tried to brake, but it was an old truck. The brakes weren't great. Gnarly. And that was in L.A., actually. Wow. Yeah. What was your... your accidents both in denver when i was i because i grew up in a small town so that's like you're not like there's no one-way streets or like merging and i think i turned uh into a wrong lane on a one-lane street both times okay over like last week i was with my best friend in sacramento and i was driving her giant land rover around sacramento <laughs> it's like an old land rover but it's still it's pretty sick but it's yeah. huge so then i like turned down this thing i thought was a street it is not a street it is only for the rail system oh no so then there was like a train car coming towards us and i was just yelling we're a train we're a train and then i just floored it i was like we got to drive faster than this train or it's gonna hit us so then it was like thank god a street and then i turned onto it but it was a one-way street going the opposite direction so then i was going into oncoming traffic but i had just watched like two fast and furious movies the day before (laughs) so you were highly qualified i was very qualified and i was like we're getting out of here and uh yeah i got us to safety and my best friend was like i don't even know if i'm mad it was just kind of impressive um i will say out of everyone i know uh i would nominate
nominate you to be a stunt car driver. Oh my god, thank you. That would be the dream job. Yes. Um, yeah, so, you know, whatever. People get into accidents in their life, basically. Yes. <laughs> and while the risk of death is not nearly as high as things like heart disease, cancer, or even like currently COVID, you do still have a 1 in 107 chance of dying in a car crash in your lifetime. Ooh. Or just under 1%. Which, you know, the 1% sounds pretty low, but if you know 107 people in your life, that means one of them will statistically die in a car accident. And I feel like that really puts it in perspective to me. Yeah. Right? That's, that's a lot of people. Uh, driving is one of the top eight leading causes of death in the United States. And since the year 2000, more Americans have died in car crashes than in both world wars combined. Whoa. Yeah. And today in 2021, U.S. roads are the most dangerous that they've ever been in a decade. I would believe it. Yeah, so today, obviously, we're going to be doing a whole episode about the dangers of driving. Ah! Ah. I was hoping it was the Tesla tunnel. (laughs) Is that the thing Elon Musk wants to build that goes underground? It's basically a subway, but he's like, no, it's a subway for cars? It's a subway for Teslas, and it's only, like, one lane, and they're like... In my mind, I'm just like, why couldn't you have just put a subway and, like, that would ease up congestion? Also, I'm just like, remember when, like, what was it? The Panama Canal got, like, backed up by that one boat that got turned sideways? I would just imagine, like, I could just see that with, like, a Tesla Panama Canal. Or, like, if, if something got turned sideways in that tunnel, you'd be so fucked. Maybe that's why they're not doing the Tesla truck anymore. Oh. Also, like, what? Okay, this is a divergence. But Elon Musk did not create Tesla. He just bought it, like, majority state, like, shareholder style, like, hostile takeover, like, I bought all your stock, mwahaha, I'm your owner. What has he done for Tesla since then that's actually worked? Uh. Because the truck's a no. That tunnel, that's ridiculous. Do they do solar panels? Oh, I don't know. I think they make, like, solar panels. Okay, that would be interesting. But, okay, as a fan of the MCU, (laughs) I fucking hate this comparison with him and Tony Stark. Also, I I could go off on a whole other thing about Tony Stark. Got it. From, like, an anti-capitalist point of view. Okay, okay. I'm just like, honestly, how come he just can't, like, save the world by giving them all this technology? Tony Stark, not... Not Elon Musk. Elon Musk doesn't know technology. No. He knows nothing. No. Yeah, but Tony Stark, yeah. Yeah, but he's like, I have the power to actually change everything. And I'm like, what? What? Yeah, and he's like, no, I put myself in fancy suit and fly around the world. No, you're right. That's an interesting... We should do like a bonus episode about that. I I have an idea for a Marvel movie that I cannot say, but it's really good. Okay, okay, one day. I mean, we live in LA, you know? We can meet people. People who can make that happen for you. We need to make this happen because, oof, it's a good one. Okay, so the first thing to know about driving is that not all places are created equal in terms of safety for driving. So, Kenna, in your life, where have been the safest and most dangerous places that you've driven? Mm, Probably the safest place um would probably just be like my hometown in Colorado it's not very big it's just like there's one main highway and like a couple like streets that are like four-way stops there's one roundabout which whoo that small town was like this roundabout is communist (laughs) but like basically (laughs) 
Um, and the most dangerous was, of course, like I have driven in like a blizzard in like between Denver and Colorado Springs. That was just like sheet of ice, mountain pass. Like that was yeah, scary. That does sound scary. Uh, I personally feel like Santa Cruz was the safest place I've ever driven because when I lived there, I remember like everyone drove like 10 miles below the speed limit at all times. And it was very like laid back and like chill. Um, and I liked that. It kind of made me chill out as a driver. But I think the most dangerous place I've ever driven was probably anywhere that wasn't Fresno, but was the outskirts around it. Like say you're driving up the five, like in between Modesto and Stockton, or you're driving like on the 99 by like Madeira, like all these like smaller towns that were connected by like huge strips of freeway. So kind of like how you're talking about in between Colorado Springs and Denver, where you're just like, there's a city, there's a city. And now I'm just on the road between them and nothing's happening. I feel like that's the stuff that I always think of as being the most dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. But in, in truth, how, how dangerous it is for you to drive depends directly on where you are. So in Mon- Monaco, Monaco? Monaco? Monaco. Monaco, thank you. (laughs) For example, which is a small sovereign city nation in France, uh, there are virtually zero traffic mortality incidents for every 100,000 people. Like, nothing even registers. And that's, like, per year, and it's obviously super low. And it's not like there aren't cars there. Uh, Monaco. Monaco? Yes. Monaco! Okay. Has the second highest rate of vehicles per capita out of 190 countries worldwide, with 899 cars for every 1,000 people. So they've got a bunch of cars there. People are driving around. However, most experts agree that traffic fatalities there are low because the urban speed limit is just 70 kilometers per hour or around 43 miles per hour. It doesn't really go above that. Mm. Public transportation there is heavily monitored and regulated. Uh, They really enforce like drunk driving laws and helmet laws. And the population is just really small. It's only 39,000 people there. Oh, dang. Yeah. So even though everybody's got all these cars, you know, it's not a lot of people moving around and it's a small space. And then there's the Federated States of Micronesia, which is a small country made up of 600 islands divided into four states. So there, traffic deaths are really low too. It's just 1.9 people for every 100,000 people. Uh, Micronesia, on the opposite end of Monaco, doesn't have much regulation at all when it comes to traffic. Uh, From what I could find online, there's like a lot of like dirt roads even there. Hmm. However, vehicle ownership is relatively low with only 37 cars for every 1,000 people. Hmm. And the population is also still pretty low, just 115,000 people roughly. So in general, there's just not that much driving happening there. But then we have Sweden, which also has hardly any traffic fatalities. They have just 2.8 traffic deaths for every 100,000 people per year. And Sweden is well known for having a safe transportation system like nationwide. So there, pedestrians have their own protected zones for walking, which are separate from vehicles. And cyclists have their own separate areas, um, which are apart from the vehicles and have like little barriers. And additionally, uh, similar to Monaco, Sweden has low speed limits and strictly enforced policies regarding uh, drunk driving. There are also a number of speed deterrents nationwide, like speed bumps, plus things to increase visibility, like really aggressive lighting, like on all the streets. So Mm. you know exactly what's going on. And in a country of 10 million people, Sweden has done a great job of regulating to minimize traffic fatalities at like a city planning level. So now compared to these three countries here in the US, could you guess how many traffic deaths we have for every 100,000 people? Sweden had 2.8, Micronesia had 1.9, and Monaco had zero. Uh, I'm trying to do the math. If you said there was a one in 107 chance. Yes. I don't know, like 100? 
Um, okay, no, it's not quite that bad. There's 10.6. Okay. <laughs> Math, not my strong suit. No, no, it's okay. So we, we do 10.6, which is over 10 times the rate of Monaco, five times the rate of Micronesia, and three times the rate of Sweden. So we're not doing so great. In fact, the U.S., despite being one of the wealthiest nations in the world with access to, like, tons of resources, we have the highest per capita traffic fatalities in the entire industrialized world. And we don't even rank in the top 25 countries worldwide in terms of traffic safety. Wow. Yeah. So those countries in order, like the top 25 safest ones would be Monaco, Micronesia, Sweden, Kiribati, United Kingdom, San Marino, Switzerland, the Netherlands, Denmark, do you say Maldives or Maldives? I probably say Maldives. I feel like that's what I say too, but it felt pretentious coming out of my mouth. I don't know. That's what I would say. Maldives. Um, Israel, Singapore, Spain, Norway, Ireland, Germany, Iceland, Japan, Finland, Palau, France, Malta, Cyprus, Australia, and Austria. And all of those like down in Austria at the bottom, they have like five for every 100,000 people. And the U.S. has twice that. Whoa. Yeah, so what makes driving in places like the United States so dangerous? Do you have any, like, what do you usually hear, like, the reasons people get into car accidents? Um, I think people want to say uh, people are on their phones. Oh, yeah, that's one. Definitely people say uh, that. I mean, I feel like drunk driving. Mm-hmm. Um, just like, oh, like rubbernecking. Oh, yeah. Like, people pull over to see what, like, slow down to see what, like, is happening with an accident and someone rear-ends them. Yeah, they, they really hammered that into us in driving school, I think. Yeah. Like, rubbernecking causes accidents. Uh, people running red lights. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you know, sometimes <laughs> the roads are confusing. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you just end up being a train in Sacramento and then making the wrong turn down a one-way street. And that's not your fault. That is not your fault when that happens. Uh, Yeah, so all of these, except for the thing where I became a train, um, they're kind of personal accountability type things, right? Where, like, you're doing something wrong and it caused this accident. And the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration says that 94% of car crashes in the U.S. are caused by human error. Um, They say that aggressive driving spawned by road rage is estimated to cause up to 60% of traffic accident deaths. Yeah, they also say, you know, speeding is a major issue contributing to traffic accidents, which causes around a third of all fatalities. Whoa. And another thing experts discuss a lot is that up to 40% of licensed drivers on the road today would fail the written driving exam if they were administered again, like, to them. We just kind of forget the core driving rules and regulations we knew when we were 15 or whatever. First oh, my gosh. Test. When I moved to Oregon, I had to take the driving test again. Oh, yeah. How was it? Um, I had to study. I was, like, I was, like, sweating because, like, <laughs> I do remember the one thing where they're, like, what if you are behind a buggy with a yellow sign and you're like, what's a buggy? Like if it like, I think this mainly applies to like, if you were like in Amish country, Oh, like a carriage okay, or like someone with a horse, Uh huh. like like a horse and buggy, a horse and buggy. If you are behind a horse and buggy and they have, I believe it's like the yield style triangle. Uh They're like, what are you supposed to do? And I was like, pass them on the left hand side. I don't, Is that right? I think you're supposed to go slow and you can pass when there is a dotted yellow line. Okay, yeah. There is no way I would know what to do if I... I didn't even know what a buggy was. I probably... 
maybe someone can enlighten me, but I think, I don't, re I, now I don't remember. Do you just pass it like a slow moving car then with its hazard lights on driving down the freeway? I think so. Yeah. But it's, it's one of those things where you're just like, wait, what? Yes. No, that is very confusing. I do not like that. Also, one time I tried to drive in, I think Atlanta, and there's these lanes in the middle of the lanes that change which direction they are depending on what time it is. And there's a light hanging over them that tells you if it's a way you're going now or if it's not anymore. Oh no. And that was very confusing me because there's like regional things too. Oh yeah. There's yeah. totally uh, regional things. I mean, where I'm from, this is like you know, this is not very common, but there are like some mountain roads that are, there's this one called shelf road where there, there is no guardrail. It is a one lane road, dirt, and it just drops down like a mile deep. I don't on the like side. that at all. Yeah. That's unsettling. Um, okay. So another thing we hear about, like speaking back to that idea of like, oh, well, like we study for the test when we're 15 and we know how to drive. We know the rules, but actually teenage drivers as a group are the most dangerous um, and it's not because like they're teenagers, it's because they're just new to driving. And um, most people do start to drive when they're teenagers. So it's not so much about them being teenagers, but it's like the first year that you mm. drive, you're you're at your most dangerous because you're not as familiar with the road. That's why I got into two accidents when I was 17. Exactly, yeah. It's like my accident I got in even was when I was a teenager as well. And it's kind of one of those things where like, well, if you learn to drive at 21 from 21 to 22 would be your most dangerous year. Yeah. Or if you learn to drive at 50 from 50 to 51 would be your mm -hmm. most dangerous year, whatever. But people who are new to driving, yeah, they're not as comfortable on the road and that can cause accidents. Um, and then there's that thing like kind of what you were talking about in Colorado with the poor weather conditions mm -hmm. and that effect in driving. Things like snow or ice or even just rain where people are driving too quickly, not braking soon enough. And that leads to collisions. And 17% of car crashes happen in the winter. But unfortunately, most people don't really have the option to just like not go to work when it's snowing outside. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have just learned to drive in the, in the snow. And when people ask me who are from states that don't get snow, just like there is only one rule and that is to go slow. Yeah. <laughs> it's like capitalism won't let you just be like, nope, I don't work today. Yeah. Um, but there's not much we can do about the weather on an individual accountability level, you know. And then there's also the thing about just not, like, checking your mirrors enough. When I was in traffic school, this seemed to be a big thing. We were shown this video that was, like, the most common thing people say after an accident is, I didn't even see them. Do you remember this? Did yes. This? Yes. And it was supposed to teach us, like, you should be constantly looking in your mirrors and driving defensively. And then there's the cell phone thing, which you were talking about. Yes. And it is true when you use your phone and drive, it increases your risk of getting into a car accident by 400% in the United States, which is huge. And that does account for 5% of all fatal crashes. Huh. I've, I would think it would, from the way people make it sound, you would think it would be more instead of people just being assholes. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> no, not quite the epidemic we're led to believe it is. Um, <laughs> then there's like intoxication of any kind, alcohol, drugs, medication. Those contribute to 10% of fatal car accidents. Whoa. And then there's sleep driving, which doesn't rank as high as a percentage, um, but it does cause 795 deaths uh, roughly per year, like in the year 2017, that's how many it was, just from people who are sleepy and driving. Oh, the worst is when you're on a long road trip and you're sleepy. Yeah. Late at night, worst. The worst. Um, I would just like pull over and take those like really funny caffeine pills by, oh, no. you know, the ones that are like next to like the weird like, uh, like horse cock, the thing, you know what I mean? Like the pills that are like, um, enlarge your member. And I then just, next to it, you're like, I'll take the energy Z 
You know that? I'd be like, yeah, give me those. I'll just fucking, let's go. I just pull over at like, I'll just pull over at the gas station, take a disco nap. Oh, see, that's probably more responsible. I'm like, jack me up on amphetamines. Let's go. Let's make this car go vroom vroom. I'll just take a disco nap on the side of the road. (laughs) So, you know, these are kind of the things that we're told. We're told like, it's stuff that people are doing wrong, right? Like you as the individual driver, like your safety falls on your shoulders. And if you get into an accident, it's your fault because you're a teenager or you're looking at your phone or you're drunk, which yeah, if you're drunk, yeah, you're probably going to get like, that one. I'll give you, you know, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, all of these things that are like, it's your fault. Basically you're driving in the bad weather, which you can't really control. But what we actually see is that when we look at places like Sweden, for example, who does really great with traffic safety, um, they actually point out that there's more structural issues at play that contribute to traffic safety than just like individual personal accountability issues can explain away. So here in the U.S., Wisconsin, for example, has the exact same population as Denmark. It's around 5.8 million people. But Wisconsin has nearly 10 traffic fatalities for every 100,000 residents compared to just three and a half for Denmark. So we've got the same number of people. We've got the same people driving, doing human behavior things, right? you know, looking at their phones, getting sleepy, whatever. And they're both snowy places. And they are both snowy places, right. But in Wisconsin, you know, we have nearly three times as many fatalities on those roads. So unless the general consensus is that people from Wisconsin are just somehow intrinsically worse at driving than people from Denmark, clearly there's some infrastructure shit we could be working on to help minimize at least any human error. And data has even shown that American drivers are no more likely to be distracted when driving than people in other developed countries who score way higher on these road safety things than us. It's not like we're looking at our phones more than them or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, I think that would be such a thing to be like, yeah, these like, like, that's why I think, yeah, us stupid Americans <laughs> looking at our phones. We're so stupid. Yeah, no, <laughs> it turns out all humans like to look at our phones. <laughs> they are very engaging devices. <laughs> we enjoy them. Uh, and me being the American wanting to be extra special and extra stupid. You're like, that's just an us thing, sweaty. <laughs> no, it's everyone. We're all stupid phone lookers. Um, but yeah, like even within the U.S., road safety varies dramatically from state to state. And the states with the most traffic fatalities per capita, uh, do you want to guess? Do you have a guess for what number one would be? The, the state with the most traffic Per capita. Per capita. I I want to say Florida, but it probably is California. Okay, it's not, actually. So California and Texas, people are always like, the most accidents, so dangerous. But um, California and Texas have the most, because we have the most people. Uh-huh. It's not, like, necessarily, like, per capita. Like, California doesn't even come up on the list. So, actually, number one is Mississippi. Huh. And then number two is South Carolina. Number oh. three is Alabama. Number four is Wyoming. Number five is New Mexico. Number six is Montana. Number seven is Arkansas. Number eight, Oklahoma. Number nine, Louisiana. And number 10, Kentucky. Okay, I'm starting to see a pattern here. Yes, I was going to ask you what came to mind when you heard about all these states. I'm like, these are like all the states that like have, um, like you always hear have like bad public infrastructure, have bad like schooling or like bad like, you know, they're like, we are turning down free Medicare. Yes. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. I think they are all Republican states except for maybe New Mexico. I didn't even think about that. Uh, yeah. Like. I don't know. Is New Mexico a Republican state? It might be purple. I'm going to look it up. 
I'm going to fact check If that I way. had to guess, I would say it's probably a purple state because I feel like um, it's... But it's like me being from Colorado, which is now a per- like it's well now Colorado's a blue state, which blows my mind. Oh like, yeah, because when I was a kid, it was like fully Republo. Yeah, so New Mexico is a Democrat state. So okay. everywhere else, though, yes, um, is Republican. So that's interesting about the infrastructure and the funding because that plays into Republican political policy. Yeah, because it's like that's why I'm like, huh. So the thing I noticed because. I've driven in all of these states except for Arkansas. Oh. Yeah, because I, I go on uh, a lot of road trips. Look like you. <laughs> I love a road country. trip. I mean, it's dangerous. I probably shouldn't be doing it. Um, but I've been through all of them except for Arkansas. And the thing I thought about when I thought about all of these states is that they have a lot of wide open spaces. Like lots of empty land where drivers are on these country-style roads in between cities um, going really fast. They're like like freeway style speeds, but you get really bored and really distracted because there's nothing going on. You're just like, cool, I'm on this stretch of road with nothing happening for hours. Yeah, Wyoming. Oh, being from Colorado, I'm like, Wyoming is boring. I'm so sorry, Wyomings. <laughs> That's your like feud, right? You guys are like a feud. It's like a total fake one where I'm yeah. just like, because whenever I've driven through Wyoming, I'm like, this is so much wide open space and it's so windy. <laughs> So, okay, when I met my college boyfriend, he was from this town called Vacaville here in California, uh, which is like a small city east of San Francisco. And he told me that growing up, he knew multiple people from his school who had died in car accidents because at night, teenagers would have nothing to do. So they would just drink alcohol and drive around the country roads at night outside of town. Oof. I know. And this blew my mind because I grew up in Fresno, which, you know, over half a million people live there. It's a city. It's not even a huge city, but at night we would just go to like punk shows or art shows or parties. I didn't know anyone who died in car accidents when I was a teenager there. I did. Did you in Colorado? Yeah, because it's a small ass town. What else are you going to do besides get fucked up? And there's no public transit, so you have to drive. Right. So I suspected that the small town nothing to do thing combined with the vast empty country road and no reason to pay attention because nobody's coming anyway thing might have contributed to these kind of trends. Yeah, it's hard because, like, you want to make all these connections, but it's so fucking hard to know without, like, a randomized data set and all that, you know. <laughs> well, I looked it up. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I actually did find that it is a fact. Really? So in 2019, rural roads accounted for only 30% of all travel, but 44% of all fatal car accidents. Huh. Yeah, so it is a dis- disproportionately higher number of fatal crashes happening on these country roads compared to more urban settings. Can I also just say something? Why, you know, horror movie style, like Jeepers Creepers, there's oh. always there's always going to be some Freddy style like horror movie like creatures you know that's where that's all that's where all the shit goes down it's all in the country <laughs> yes this is why you can't take me out of a city i need to be in a city you put me in the i'm woods? like if you watch texas chainsaw massacre you know that those country roads are no i'm not strong enough for them i won't survive that no i just think that's funny that's like a funny idea well okay so my best friend and my boyfriend both are like we want to move to the woods where it snows and live in a cabin. And I'm like, 
fuck? No, that is how you die. Have you ever watched a horror movie? Have you movie? ever watched a horror movie? Yeah, you do not do that if you want to survive. Have you seen Evil Dead? I mean, that is why I am Final Girl. Because I stop it before it even begins. I'm like, fuck no, we're not doing that. Like, we're not going to, no, we're not, that's not happening. I'm definitely not Final Girl. I'm taken out immediately. <laughs> Um, okay, so anyway, we've got all this, like, data about the rural country roads, but that doesn't necessarily mean that cities are, like, just safe on their own, because, um, just like different states have different levels of, like, driving safety, different cities do, too, and it does have to do a lot with that whole infrastructure thing you were talking about. So, the top 10 most dangerous cities for driving in the U.S., uh, along with how many more people per 100,000 citizens in those cities die from car accidents than the national average, they are Spartanburg, South Carolina, where 12 more people per 100,000 residents die in car accidents each year. Yeah. In Ocala, Florida, it's 13 more people. In Homosassa Springs, Florida, 14 more people. Yuba City, California, 16 more people. Farmington, New Mexico, also 16 more people. Florence, Alabama, 17 more people. Longview, Texas, 18 more people. Florence, South Carolina, 20 more people. And Midland, Texas, 22 more people. And last, Odessa, Texas, 23 more people per 100,000 residents die in car accidents every year than the national average. Yeah. So in Florence, Midland, and Odessa, um, you are more than two times as likely to die in a car accident as in the United States in general. Whoa. Right. So, you know, obviously we're seeing that something is causing this. Otherwise, it would be like a pretty even proportion across the board. And if it's not personal accountability, right, it's not like people in Odessa, Texas are like, do you know what I love? Trying to die in a car, right? They're not doing Mm -hmm. that. It's not on them. So what is it then? It's got to be these structural issues. And experts actually have figured out the structural issues that, yeah, are responsible for a lot of this. So the first one is speed limits. So one major structural component of road safety is indeed the speed limit set by each region. Over the past 25 years, speed limits in the U.S. have slowly gone up, with 41 states allowing drivers to go 75 miles per hour or higher. And drivers in Texas, where Midland and Odessa both are, are able to go 85 miles per hour on some roads. Whoa. Oh, yeah, I feel like... Um, remember that, that Van Halen song, I Can't Drive 55? Right. Now, yeah. like, where's 55? That's so Well, slow. no, because, like, it was because, I think, like, in the 70s or 80s, they tried to make the national speed limit on, national on, like, national highways 55 oh. for exactly that reason, and people lost their fucking minds. Okay, well, I will say... <laughs> Before doing the research for this episode, if you had tried to tell me to drive slower, I would have been like, fuck you, you know, because I like to drive. I like to drive fast. You're David Lee Roth. I'm David you Lee Roth. You can't drive 55. No, I cannot. <laughs> um, but after doing this, like, episode research, I'm like, okay, some things are going to be changing about how I drive because it is harrowing. So for every five mile per hour increase in the posted speed limit, traffic fatalities in that area rose 8%. Whoa. Yes. So Charles Farmer, who's an expert on road safety research, said that if speed limits had not increased um, in 2017, more than 1,900 people who died would still be alive today. Wow. I know. It's really sad. So this kind of like rocked my worldview a little bit. Um, Yeah, because it actually does have a super direct correlation. Like speed is what kills people. Yeah, I would really believe that. Like whenever I 
the the most harrowing experiences I've ever had on the highway are when people are going like straight up like 120 miles an hour like weaving through traffic yeah like um and like I've seen people talk about too they're like if you're going 125 miles an hour like weaving in and out of traffic like that like you think that you're a good driver but what's really happening is everybody on the road around you is the good driver Mm -hmm. because you are not so good that you're managing to like drift in between cars without us being affected we are also good at defensive driving that we are getting out of your way slamming on our brakes like slowing down speeding up to accommodate you so you're not hitting us yeah basically like when someone is doing that to me and they're coming up on me like I will either try to speed up or slow down so they can weave around me right right and that's what ends up happening everybody on the road suddenly is dealing with an obstacle which is the fast driver yeah which is apparently also the 60 percent asshole drivers <laughs> yes <laughs> um another interesting thing that accounts for like disparities in traffic fatalities is gas prices whoa yeah when gas is cheaper people drive more and the more people drive the more traffic incidents there are Oof, that I feel um, conflicted about because I uh, need cheap gas. <laughs> yes, I know. Yeah, it's bittersweet. Um, well, that kind of brings us into our third one, though, which is socioeconomic issues. Mm. So this one's actually a huge one. Uh, you know those studies that seem to prove over and over again that rich people drive like assholes? Have you seen these? <laughs> no, but I believe it just from, from like, non-scientific, just um, everyday experience. Yeah. We all know. We know. Like, yeah. if someone, yeah, if, if, I feel like most, if, if I'm getting cut off in traffic, it's by a fucking Tesla. Yeah. Well, okay, it turns out that the idea that punishable by fine just means legal for rich people, that has some merit. That's real. Um, when people have more money, they are actually more likely to drive just horribly. They're more likely to um, like be like, I don't care about a speeding ticket because I can afford it. But it also has something to do with our fundamental capacity for empathy when we're broke. Like when people don't have money, they're more likely to consider other people in general. And when people are rich, they're more likely to think they're the only fucking person on the planet that matters. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I listened to a podcast about this and it's basically like when you're, when you're, uh, when you're a, ple- a plebe, when you're yes. a serf, you're just like, I actually need to rely on my other people, my other serfs. So I'm going to help out this person and they'll help out me because we're both down. Yes. It's like when I was really broke, um, picking vintage in Portland, me and my best friend would just trade um, borrowing 20 bucks from each other to go pick at the bins. Yeah, well, that's like totally real. So when people don't have money, yeah, they're more likely to care about other people. Also, they're more likely to just drive carefully because they know they can't afford to damage their car or get a speeding ticket or get their insurance go up or anything like that. Mm -hmm. One study found that upper class individuals, relative independence from others and increased privacy in their professions may provide fewer structural constraints and decreased perceptions of risk associated with committing unethical acts. Yeah. Also, like I've heard too, like if people come from like lower economic status and like raised to higher, they're actually um, many times... Um, unlikely to feel empathy for people who can't get their act together because they're just like, I did. Right? That's really interesting. Yeah, (laughs) it depends more on where you are than where you came from. Yeah, they're just like, well, I made it up to the top. Why can't you? And you don't want to be like, because you're lucky. Yeah, that's called luck, right? (laughs) That's called luck. Uh, Yeah, so indeed, people driving luxury cars are more likely to fail to yield to pedestrians in the crosswalk. 
and to engage in other unethical antisocial behavior, according to a study published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. Um, so, sorry to cut you off, no, but no. what do you think all these um, assholes in their luxury cars are listening to when they're cutting people off? I, I, in my head, it's just techno. It's just loud, <laughs> fucking, they're like, dun, 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 dun. yeah, exactly, like pounding, yeah, yeah. But it's probably just like Joe Rogan. <laughs> it's probably not no, even that exciting. No, they're listening to uh, an EDM remix of the best of Joe Rogan. Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> I wish I had ever heard anything Joe Rogan. Like, to me, Joe Rogan exists as, like, a cultural phenomenon, not an actual person who puts out media I could consume and check out. Like, I don't know what happens. Um, I think someone, I before I kind of knew what the Joe Rogan thing was all about, I tried listening to it and I could not because they were just like all ads for weird protein things. Oh, that checks out for me actually with what I would think. Yeah, It's like deer testicle protein powder. (laughs) So it's the stuff on the side of the road next to my weird like amphetamine caffeine pills (laughs) that I'm like, not that one, not that one, this one. And it's all they advertise on the Joe Rogan show apparently. I love that. So yeah, drivers of the cheapest and oldest cars were the ones most likely to slow down and give leeway, followed by those in average quality cars who were a little less likely but still did. But those in the most prestigious cars drove on, regardless of any pedestrians around them, 45% of the time. Wow. Yeah. In fact, this is so interesting to me. For every $1,000 more that a driver's car is worth, their likelihood of slowing down for a pedestrian decreases by 3%. Whoa. You can, like, quantify it that easily. Wow. I wonder if just sometimes, like, all these people who are doing, like, traffic statistics, like, I wonder, like, if they're just like, wow, I what, like, I I don't know about humanity anymore, man. Yeah, well, it's funny because these people actually, like, how you said early on, you're like, just, like, personally, like, anecdotally, I know this is true. This is what these researchers did. They were like, I know it, so let's, like, let's do it proper. Let's do a real scientific test. Like, I feel it. I got the hypothesis, the scientific method, right? Let's test the hypothesis. And lo and behold, they were right. Uh, Yeah, researchers from the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, speculated that the expensive car owners felt a sense of superiority over other road users and were less able to empathize with what they considered the lowly sidewalk dwellers. Oh, God. On the flip side, there's also a relationship between low-income people and the distance between them and good jobs. Uh, So this also falls into the socioeconomic thing. The average commute time in the U.S. is now 25 minutes long. And the more time you spend driving, the higher your risk of a traffic fatality just because you're on the road more. Mm -hmm. And gentrification has a lot to do with this. As poor people and people of color were displaced from cities and forced to move outwards towards the suburbs in the 2000s, kind of that like opposite of white flight thing, the Mm -hmm. white fill, their proximity to jobs fell more than for non-poor and white residents. So residents of high poverty and mainly minority neighborhoods experienced particularly pronounced declines in job proximity, which basically just means their jobs got further away. So they're spending more time trying to get to them. And as, oh, where am I? Oh, yeah. So once you leave a city center in the U.S., your access to public transportation decreases and your reliance on a car increases, creating more time spent driving and more risk. One man reportedly spent four hours per day commuting via bus to his job in Seattle from the outskirts of town, where he couldn't afford to live like in the city proper. However, the commute time put strain on his family. He had kids, often left him high and dry. If he happened to miss the last bus home, he would have to start like trying to walk 
to like a suburb nearby. So he instead began driving. His situation is not abnormal. Evidence is piling up that low wages and long commutes often go hand in hand. Low income families typically pay a higher percentage of their incomes to commute than their higher paid counterparts. According to Seattle Times, commute complications are a reality facing more people as soaring housing costs push people out of the urban core and farther away from jobs. And according to Mike Heinisch, uh, who's the executive director of Kent Youth and Family Services, livable wage jobs in the area are all located in Seattle, not the suburbs, and people are commuting huge distances to get to them. So that same guy we mentioned, um, he his like daily schedule right now wakes up at 1.40 a.m., leaves his house by 2.25 a.m., drives his 2004 Honda the 25 minutes to work an early shift at a FedEx slightly closer to his house where he makes $12.50 an hour. That shift ends at 6.40 a.m. So then he drives back home, showers, changes clothes. Then at 7.30 a.m., a neighbor comes over and they carpool together 55 minutes to his next job working at a bank in Seattle where he then works until 5 p.m. He gets home by 6.45 p.m., which is an hour and 45 minute drive, right? Then eats dinner and goes to sleep at 7.30 p.m. to repeat the cycle the next day. So he's been looking for work closer to home that pays the bills, but can't find anything. And he's still driving roughly three hours a day, often after working two back-to-back shifts. In addition to increasing the risk of fatality just by virtue of like increased exposure due to more driving, there's also that whole issue of sleepiness when driving. Remember how they were talking Mm -hmm. about how that is like a main cause of accidents? People who commute hours to work every day, work a full eight hour day or more, then commute hours back home are putting strain on their alertness while they're on the road. The most dangerous time for driving is in fact after work and especially on Friday nights when drivers are tired from doing this all week long. 62% of traffic fatalities happen during the evening rush hour, and most of them on Friday nights. Whoa. In total, nearly a quarter of all traffic fatalities happen during commuting hours. Dang. Yeah, and we find because of this that when unemployment is low, traffic deaths go up. More people are driving to get to work, and this increases the overall risk. So the more unemployment you have, people aren't going to work so much, traffic deaths are low. Okay, so the fourth one I've got here... It's the, it's the thing it always is. It's racism. It's, what? It always is. It's like, you'd be like, eh, oh, yeah. Of course. It's racism. It's always racism. So researchers studying the driving habits of people in the U.S. found that cars are more likely to yield for white people and women, and especially for white women, and less likely to yield for black people. Oof. Yeah. So there's all of this just driver bias of racism feeding into this. And then also there's this issue of toxic masculinity as it of relates course. to driving. Of course. Yes. Yeah, seriously. A Finnish study recently found that men who own flashy vehicles are more likely to have what they called an argumentative, stubborn, disagreeable, and unempathetic outlook on the world. And according to the study, men who have disagreeable character traits are more drawn to high status cars and specifically the brands Audi, BMW, and Mercedes. And people in high status cars are more likely to drive with less concern and empathy for others on the road around them. Men are over three times more likely to die in a car accident while driving. Hmm. I mean, anecdotally, I would say this is true, but... Yeah, it's interesting. And then um, the sixth reason is city planning. So here in the U.S., it turns out we're kind of trash at city planning. We're not very good at it. 
we have these sprawling city centers with huge areas of suburbs separated from each other by great distances of country and empty space. So to make it easier to get between them all, we make these long, wide, huge roads so people can zoom down them super fast. And then when people do, they reach unsafe speeds and get into more fatal accidents. Yeah, I think about this, I forget what I was watching or listening to, but it's like, they were kind of like the documentary or the podcast or the whatever was talking about how like, yeah, it used to be like you have little area, like a little area neighborhood would be kind of self-sustained. There'd be like a little place to get a sandwich, a bank, a little, you know, doing business in the area where it's now like now city planning is there's like there's a business district there's a shopping district there's also a district where people live so all of these places you have to commute between instead of just having it there where you fucking live right yeah you can't just like take care of everything you want in one place a thing that they do um in china now they've done a bunch of development and something they've done that's really cool is on the outsides of the cities they build these little communities that are several tall tall buildings with everybody living in you know like apartments and flats up top and then the bottoms of the buildings are kind of built in like a circle around a central courtyard the bottoms of the buildings have like you were talking about everything that little community needs like you've got your schools you've got you know like art centers you've got gyms you've got everything your community kind of needs to function like food places and then the central courtyard everyone can come hang out in it's kind of like a park and like kind of socialize and then people do need to get to the city usually for like the jobby jobs, but they can rent a scooter and just ride like a motorized scooter in. It's really close. It's like a 15 minute drive away. And I thought that was really interesting from like a city planning perspective. Yeah. I think about like when I, the time in my life where I hardly ever had to drive was when I went to the University of Denver because it was just like everything was on campus. I could like walk to the cafeteria if I needed, like there were like grocery stores around there also the first chipotle in the country the first chipotle in the country yes was in wow. denver okay chipotle <laughs> is like if you're vegan and you're like i don't know where i am i'm disoriented i need to find food chipotle is like the beacon it's like the light that never goes out like you see it and you're like chipotle yeah because i was vegan at the time yes, and yes. i was like wow i can walk to everything i need yeah i mean i would growing up in my town like i would actually walk a lot of places especially for it being a small town because I was just a weirdo and I liked walking around but like it you couldn't like you would I would walk like five miles to go to the store oh it yeah. wasn't like you can just like it's not walk down the block yeah yes, yes so I was just like wow yeah well most people aren't gonna like walk five miles obviously <laughs> I was <laughs> I was a weird teenager I was really into cassette tapes, which were not of the time. That was anachronistic that I just liked cassette tapes. Oh, yeah. We had the disc man that yeah. skipped every time or, you used Or, like, it. by then it was, like, you maybe had, like, an iPod or a Zune. Oh, yeah. The Zune. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I would listen to cassette tapes, like, mainly The Cure and The Smiths, and I would just walk around looking at all the mountains and stuff because I was just a fucking cough weirdo. <laughs> I mean, that sounds lovely. Not normal. Not normal. <laughs> yeah. Well, so aside from just being like a goth weirdo who listens to the cure on cassette and walks around and that solves the issue of tra traffic fatalities, there are other solutions, <laughs> but I like yours. I like yours a lot. Um, but unfortunately, like over the past 45 years, the U S has made virtually no progress in terms of traffic safety. Like we're just kind of stuck. Other countries have advanced though. 
by refusing the personal accountability narrative and instead tackling what one Vox article called the hard ingrained cultural, political and engineering issues that must be addressed to bring about sustained reductions in traffic fatalities. Yeah, this reminds me again, going back to where I grew up, like there was this intersection that people like multiple, like someone would get killed at every year because it was like um, one of those long stretch out roads people would go like 60 miles an hour but there was this four there was this like four-way stop that no one would ever I, I maybe it wasn't a four-way stop it was a two-way stop and people would always make left-hand turns onto this really like where it was people were going 60 and they were stopped making a left-hand turn and then they would get killed so they finally had to put like a four-way stop and a light because they were you yeah. know yeah so that's the kind of stuff that like is actually more likely to contribute to unsafe driving. It's not so much like people were kind of like, we do what makes sense to us, but like urban planning can either create a world that makes sense with the way our brains work and like helps us do our best, or it can kind of like play off of our worst instincts, you Mm -hmm. know, which are like, I'm bored, drive fast. Like, oh, it's a lonely stretch of road. My mind's going to wander, you know, those kinds of things. And if we want um, to cut traffic fatality rates to be as low as like Sweden or the UK or Netherlands, which are three to four times lower than ours, we need to change actually a lot about how our entire country functions. Oh, for sure. It's like, I love how like every single thing we talk about is like also interconnected. Like we got to change this and this and this. Yes. So like one of the things that can help change things is if you increase regulation. So in 1970, the Netherlands had a traffic fatality rate annually that was actually slightly lower than the U.S. Like, it it was not as bad as ours. However, even that was high enough to cause people to jump into action. 3,200 people died on Dutch roads um, that year, and it caused this massive protest to emerge that was like, stop the killing. These protests encouraged the Netherlands government to spring into action to consciously improve traffic safety measures by enacting increased laws and regulations regarding speed limits, yeah, but also regarding how streets are legally allowed to be designed. Additionally, in other places, there are things like the Euro NCAP, which eliminates dangerous walls of steel, was the quote that somebody used to describe this, which are just like giant plates of metal found on American SUVs and pickup trucks. And this is a move that intelligent speed assistant said could reduce deaths by 20% alone. Whoa. Yeah. So unregulated car manufacturers in the U.S. have flooded the market with oversized SUVs and pickup trucks with huge frontal surfaces and poor forward vision. Design features that would fail to meet Europe's safety standards. And that makes these machines way more dangerous for pedestrians and those in smaller cars. Because of this, SUVs have contributed to the 81% increase in pedestrian fatalities between 2009 and 2018. And roads are deadlier for bikers and pedestrians than they have been in 30 years. Oh, so they're just creating these like cars and trucks that are just like way too big for you to see someone. Yeah, and they're death machines. Um, I mean, anecdotally, I mean, that makes sense to me because I was listening about someone who like, you know, who like accidentally ran over like a bunch of pedestrians and they were in a like jacked up truck. Yeah. And they were like, I couldn't see. And I was like, yeah, no shit, you couldn't see. Right. Like, so over the week that I was in Sacramento with my friend and we just had her car, which was the Land Rover, it's lifted, it's a big car. I was driving and I was like, I feel really safe and in control in this vehicle. But (laughs) the thing I thought is I'm like, oh, if I was driving my normal car, though, a Kia, and this car hit me, I'd be dead. 
I'd be dead instantly. You know, you feel safe when you're in the vehicle, but for everyone around you, you're like a, a safety hazard. I mean, I don't know if you if you're already touching upon this, but it's like also because we don't have universal health care. I wonder how many people die from traffic related injuries that would have been prevented by having better insurance or having better. Well, so this is interesting. I don't actually include any data on this, but when I was researching, I did find that um, for a while, the United States was making advancements and reducing the number of traffic fatalities. And that's as our access to healthcare was increasing. Mm. But that was a while ago. That was many years ago. Like now for the past 45 years, it's stagnated. So before 45 years ago, it was, we were reducing traffic fatalities just because our, our healthcare system was getting better. We were better able to save people's lives, make them not fatal. Yeah, I guess like it would be hard because like here, like people are like, oh, well, if you're in a car accident, they take you to the ER. It's like, yeah, and then you might have like a $20,000 bill. Right. I feel like, yeah, at a certain point, they would probably try try to save your life and then you'd be saddled with all this debt. But also like after 45, like up to the point of 45 years ago, it, we stopped growing. Like, our healthcare system's not, you know, it's that's even starting to fall behind other yeah, countries. Or just like, like, infrastructure on the whole. Yeah, or just, like, how many people are left with chronic pain or other, like, severe ongoing health problems because of car accidents. Right, like, this is just the fatalities we're talking about, but there's way more accidents than this. If every person in your life, like, in the United States, gets into three to four accidents, that's way more than the... 10 or so for every 100,000 people that are dying every year. Exactly. And people are getting their lives totally ruined if they, if they make it out alive. So in the U.S., we also have this thing. It's called the Manual of Uniform Traffic Control Devices, and it governs traffic, governs traffic signals and speed limits. And it's a manual published by the Federal Highway Administration, which is a federal agency, and it recommends setting speed limits that match the 85th percentile of actual free-flowing traffic, rounded up to the nearest five miles an hour. So in effect, drivers breaking the law by speeding justifies raising speed limits even more. So the MUTCD, as it's called, also standardized signal like signaling and pavement markings that often prioritize cars over all other road users. So by altering the regulation on how speed limits are set alone, we could potentially decrease traffic fatalities by nearly 22% per year. Wow. Yeah, and the reality is that the MUTCD needs a complete overhaul with input not just from drivers, but from other people who are using the roads too. Pedestrians, cyclists, disability advocates, the elderly, people of color, everybody from varying types of communities around the U.S. And the second thing that could be a solution for this is creating safe cycling and walking zones on the streets for those non-drivers. So accidents involving a single car and a pedestrian or bicyclist alone account for 38% of all traffic-related fatalities. Whoa. So one of the ways Netherlands created safer streets was by designing streets with the safety of pedestrians and cyclists in mind as well. And they created these areas called Woonerfs, and they're areas in which pedestrians, bikes, and cars can share space, but the car speed is limited and it's reduced to more or less the same speed as a walking person. So since the vehicles are moving at the speed of pedestrians and cyclists, these spaces rely on like hand signals and gesturing between drivers and others to establish right-of-way, which I thought was pretty interesting. Because in one way, it's like regulated on an infrastructure level, but on another way, it's deregulated because it's like, well, just go slow and don't hit each other and figure it the fuck out, which is kind of common sense. Yeah, I think too, it's so, I did, I don't know if you'll touch upon this, but I was listening to something that was like, Actually, what increases car safety is, like, doing stuff like 
four-way stops, roundabout, where you're forced to make a decision, like especially roundabouts, because you're like, whoa, okay, I got to merge. I got to look at this other person. Whereas if you're just at a stoplight, you kind of zone out. Yes, totally. And you like, you know, you're just like, okay, green light, go. And like, there might be someone who's still cross. Like a lot of, there's like so many instances of people who are crossing, even when there's like, um, a green light so right. the person hits them and it's like well why did you see them and they're like I had a green light because they're not paying attention right you're like yeah well this person was still clearing the the intersection yeah yeah well these areas these woonerfs they're they're found to save lives in the Netherlands they once they implemented them yeah people started engaging more as drivers with the pedestrians and bicyclists around them and being more aware of them And then by increasing access to safe routes for bicycling, cities can also greatly reduce the amount of drivers on the road as well. So it's kind of like a twofold benefit. So 20 years ago, Washington DC, for example, had average traffic fatalities in the US. However, after DC created protected bike lanes for cyclists adjacent to the sidewalk, but protected from the street with a barrier, it became one of the safest cities for traffic in the country. So similar tactics have been implemented in New York, Portland, Cambridge, and Seattle, all leading to an increase in bicycling and a decrease in traffic fatality routes uh, rates as a result of that. Because now people see that it's a protected base to bicycle and they're more likely to bicycle as well. So you have it like twofold. Like they're not driving, so they're less likely to be drivers engaging in accidents and they're protected from the road, so they're less likely to be the victims of fatalities of traffic accidents. In addition to protecting cyclists, bike lanes also reduce the amount of space dedicated to cars and ultimately slow traffic, which is good because even though traffic is super annoying to deal with and inconvenient, it does create less speeding. Yeah, I like this idea. I I mean, obviously, it'd be hard to think about in LA just because the way that buildings and infrastructure are set up. But the idea that cars, bikes, and people are going the same um, rate about, that it's like equal, you yeah, know? it's pretty interesting, right? <laughs> but then you even think about that. You're like, that takes a cultural shift away from the importance of like productivity, speed, cap- like all the things capitalism tells you. Like, you got to get to work on time. You got to get there fast. Like, you would have to have this whole like cultural men- mental shift where you're like, you get there when it's safe to get there. Yeah. And like, to me, it's just like, because sometimes, you know, sometimes, I mean, sometimes you just need a car. Like, if yeah. you're transporting stuff. If you have trouble walking or riding a bike, Mm -hmm. which I have had in the past, it's like, yeah, I would need to drive a car and, you know, but like now I would be like, oh, wow, if there were bike lanes between my place and work, I would probably ride my bike because it would probably be a 15 minute bike ride. Right. And I mentioned this before, but when I lived in San Francisco, I didn't use a car for many years that I lived there. I just took the bus, the train and rode a bicycle and I rode a bicycle from to and from school and my house all the time. And then when I needed to go to work, I'd put the bicycle in front of the bus and I would go. But when I moved to LA, I didn't feel safe enough riding a bicycle here. Because oh, hell no. No, everyone I know got doored, got, you know, really injured. And I was actually in a car once and I saw a car in front of me. It was exactly kind of what you were talking about. Green light. There was a bicycle in front of them taking the lane, which you're legally allowed to do. And they just drove straight into the bicyclist. <gasps> and yeah, it was really, I blocked it out, honestly, probably because it was so traumatizing. Oh, but I'm like, I think that, that bicyclist died. It was a very oh. intense traumatic accident. So yeah, it's like in cities where we make space for bicyclists and people feel safer riding their bikes, they are going to be more likely to ride their bikes. Like, I feel like I'm a good example of that. I would ride my bike in LA if I felt safer doing it. Yeah, it's just, it's... I mean, it's really unsafe. Also, 
I, you know, motorcycles. I know yeah. that might be a hot take, but I, you would not get me on a motorcycle. No, it's very dangerous to ride a motorcycle as well. So as it stands, our streets prioritize high-speed cars over safety for all. Despite the fact that people uh, do not walk more now than, than in the past, pedestrian deaths are increasing in the U.S., which is proof that our road design here leaves pedestrians out as an afterthought. You can be marginally safe driving your car down a street, but the second you park your car, get out, and then start to use a crosswalk, you become a pedestrian, and suddenly you are at increased risk of being harmed by the traffic that you just were, right? So we tend to think of ourselves as drivers because we drive, but that doesn't mean that you are also not a pedestrian at various points in your journey. Yeah. While vehicles have made efforts to be safer for drivers, those same efforts have made them more dangerous to pedestrians. SUVs and pickup trucks are two to three times more likely to kill a pedestrian than a smaller vehicle in the event of a crash, which ties in kind of with that regulation thing we mm-hmm. talked about. So the third thing um, that we could do to help combat these issues is increase public transportation. I know, um, you know, we did a whole episode about public transportation, but by investing in public transportation, the U.S. can definitely reduce traffic overall and ultimately save people from traffic-related fatalities. Here, there's this thing called Vision Zero, which is a goal of working towards zero traffic fatalities, and public transportation is a big part of that, as well as an example of how the U.S. is falling behind other countries in terms of infrastructure. Metro areas with strong public transportation networks have lower traffic fatality rates. It's a fact. One study found that when an area has twice the amount of public transportation trips, it has half of the annual traffic fatality rate. Yeah, I... Yeah, I wish it were, like, easy to take public transportation in L.A. Yeah, it's, like, convenient to go some places, which I've talked about before, too. It's, like, when I lived in Koreatown and I worked downtown, I didn't have a car. I took the subway every day. It was great. But now I live in Atwater Village. I love Atwater Village. It's not really accessible via train. Yeah, it's, like, it's just... I was, like, listening... Maybe there's something on, like, KPCC where someone was, like, yeah, I, I did... A month where I just did uh, public transportation and Uber for things I couldn't take public transportation to and did car and car insurance, it nearly cost me the same amount. And I was like, damn. Right. Because of that whole, you need to Uber to where your train or bus is or if, or if the train or bus is late. Right. So in 2019, the passenger death rate for vehicles in the US was 0.45 per 100,000 people. Um, And that's not like your odds, which we talked about, which was the 107. That's like the total passenger death rate. But that's compared to just 0.05 for buses and 0.005 for rail trains. Whoa. Yeah. So a person can reduce their risk of being in a transportation-related accident by over 90% just by taking public transportation instead of a car. It is 10 times safer per mile than vehicle travel. Oh, I'm sure. So then, like, the next thing that's a potential solution to address this is changes to urban planning. So in the U.S., we drive more than every other developed country in the world. Um, Sometimes you'll hear, like, jokes on the internet where, like, Europeans will be like, yeah, you know, I haven't seen my parents in so long. They live so far away. And an American will be like, oh, how far away do they live? And they'll be like, oh, 45 minutes, you know. But here in the U.S., it's like it takes you an hour and a half to get from one side of L.A. to another. Yeah. Right? Like, we just have car culture here. We drive. We're in our cars all the time. And while even correcting for miles driven, we still have higher mortality rates, changes to our urban planning could make a significant difference. Countries with the lowest traffic fatality records tend to have more compact, densely populated city centers rather than the massive urban sprawl we see in the U.S. today. 
Our country is more automobile dependent because of the vast amount of space between disconnected city centers. We have to drive further to reach things, which means more time in cars, and the types of roads we use to connect one place to another are made for convenience, but not for safety. One ultimate goal should be to create more livable, compact urban areas, which better allow for alternatives to driving, like public transportation, or for driving distances to at least be shortened. By increasing livable, walkable spaces, we reduce the need for long commutes and thus reduce the amount of time people spend in cars potentially to be involved in collisions. However, in lieu of that, we have these far-reaching, disconnected spaces that we need to get between. And the result of this is a type of street that's recently been called a strode. <laughs> Combining the need for high-speed travel that streets are supposed to accommodate with accessibility to businesses that a road would usually have. Hence, strode, street road. <laughs> Strodes are dangerous because we have these two goals that are ultimately incompatible. And they result in varying speeds between drivers with different objectives. You've got somebody trying to get somewhere really, really fast. And you've got somebody entering or exiting like a shopping center, basically. And strodes are everywhere in the United States. Um, in my neighborhood here in Atwater Village, there's one right there on Glendale Boulevard, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my. You know what I was thinking of? That last time I was driving in Salt Lake City. Oh, yeah. It's so wild driving there. Yeah. And uh, although, like, um, in Atwater Village on Glendale, they added, like, a little small bylane for local access. Oh. So if you're driving on the main thoroughfare, you can take this, like, it's almost like a frontage road, but for a road. Oh, and for that's parking? Where you can park. Yeah, and, yeah, and that yeah. does help a little bit. In city areas, high-speed traffic needs to be separated, though, from shopping and living areas with increased need for local access in order to minimize these issues. Another way in which the Dutch, in particular, increased safety was by redesigning their roads, especially in rural areas. And I think this kind of ties into what you were talking about with, like, the um, roundabouts. By using curves, medians, and roundabouts, the street designs themselves guide drivers to safer speeds. Well, in the U.S., engineering calls for wide straight streets, and then we try to slow drivers down, like, after the fact with speed bumps and police officers. Designing instead curved roads with roundabouts, that all increases drivers' natural engagement and controlled speed from the get-go. You're just naturally not going to drive as fast on a windy road. Yeah. Here, we also have this thing called the Green Book. It's written by traffic engineers at the American Association of State Highway and Transportation Officials, and it's been used for decades by the federal government in the U.S., as well as states and local levels, to dictate how streets should be engineered. The number one priority the Green Book puts forward is speed. The Green Book, therefore, advocates lanes that are far too wide, which encourages cars to drive faster, increasing risk. We see that on roads specifically designed to be straight and flat, it does indeed encourage drivers to reach unsafe speeds. A good example of this is uh, the U.S. Route 1 in Florida, which is one of the most deadly roads in the country. Ooh. It's a super straight and long, like, highway, and it connects islands, including the Keys, to mainland Florida. But it allows drivers to reach extremely fast speeds. I've driven on that one, too. Oh, I know I've driven like I don't know why I've driven so many places. Instead, we need to adopt techniques other countries have employed to utilize things like roundabouts, as well as to create safe walking and bicycling lanes protected with barriers, and also to create what are called slow or complete streets, which really um, they're like narrow lanes with curb extensions and kind of like these islands. And the islands are often placed to make the streets curve around them and create an S-shaped path, which brings down driver speeds. 
Then, if you've got these little islands there designed for the roads to go around, people usually turn them into like green spaces planted with trees and foliage, which obviously helps improve like the quality of life and the air quality in the community as well. The fifth thing that's an option um, that would really need to be implemented to help with all of this is to increase available and affordable housing in city centers so people can afford to live close to where they work. Yeah. As more and more working class people are pushed out of city centers, they're forced to commute into the city to earn higher wages and leave the city to find affordable housing. This creates huge commute times, which disproportionately affect lower income people and put them specifically at risk of death behind the wheel. Studies have found that households who can afford more expensive neighborhoods have shorter commute distances, leading to commuters in the top income bracket having faster commutes than the lower income workers. We need to fight for public or at least affordable housing in places that are practical for most people, housing near jobs in the middle of cities. The sixth thing is pretty major. It's the same thing that ties into every problem we seem to have in the United States. We need to fight systemic inequality. Mm -hmm. Remember how drivers are significantly more likely to yield to a white pedestrian in a crosswalk than a black pedestrian? Well, it's long past time for Americans to, like, atone for our legacy of racism in this country. By addressing our cultural racism and working to unlearn and unteach these behaviors, we can reduce traffic fatalities, even just at the individual driver's level. Additionally, addressing systemic racism would assist in actively desegregating the United States and providing safer roads to citizens of all racial and ethnic backgrounds. More than 80% of large metropolitan areas in the United States were more segregated in 2019 than they were in 1990. Whoa. Yeah, we were actively, we never fully desegregated and we're actively resegregating. The majority of traffic deaths per capita currently happen below the Mason-Dixon line. Do you know what that is? Uh, is that the South? Yeah, it's basically the line that creates where the South is as we think of it. It just so happens to correlate also with the highest concentration of black communities in the U.S. and with the least safely planned road systems. Mm. So research by Smart Growth America found that in general, the most sprawling metropolitan areas with wider roads and longer blocks that endanger people encountering traffic, they typically do cluster in southern states. Furthermore, academic research has consistently linked these sprawling growth patterns to higher rates of both traffic-related deaths for people walking and traffic-related deaths overall, including drivers. Research has shown that pedestrians killed by vehicles are disproportionately poor, black, Hispanic, or Native, because they often live near the most dangerous roads in the U.S. due to systemic inequality built into our urban planning. In Florida, this trend also extends to the elderly community as well. There, they're at an increased risk due to um, higher representation number-wise, but also potentially impaired vision, hearing, and reflexes that make it harder for them to get out of the way of a speeding vehicle if they need. And of course, all of this also includes disabled people who are at increased risk as well. Additionally, circling back to the time workers have to spend in order to get to their jobs, which increases their risk of being involved in a traffic fatality, researchers have found that Hispanic workers commute 3.5% longer distances than their white counterparts, Black workers commute 5.1% longer distances, and Asian workers 2% longer than white workers. By addressing issues like gentrification, segregation, and race-based pay gaps and hiring opportunities, we can reduce the long commute times many workers of color face, thus reducing their risk of death via traffic collision. Hmm. So anyway, that's what I got on cars and driving. It's racist and dangerous. Driving is racist. Oh, dude. It's gnarly. Everything here is just like, ah! I know, right? <laughs> and then you look at other places and you're like, they're trying to fix it. Could we try to fix it? And everyone's like, no, impossible. Literally yeah, impossible. like, oh. it's just like, sometimes I'm just like, well, you know, it's so hard to 
to get to you know the root of many problems but here it's just like it seems a pretty straightforward like policy issue rather than an individual issue like with like between speed limits the way that roads are designed the the way that cities are designed the way that workplaces are designed the way that public transportation is designed and then so you add in that with our culture of just like individualism fucking uh like this like drive fast fucking like toxic masculinity which i'm guilty of (laughs) i will say many of my worst traits they align with toxic masculinity but i think it's just like yeah we all you know whatever sometimes i like to drive fast too but like it's just like it's more acceptable was like you know us we're like yeah i'm driving too fast yeah. but some people are just like fuck you right like get out of it's an entitlement culture so yeah you know. like we feel a little bit sheepish sometimes we're just like yeah i mean it was driving a little too fast whoopsies yeah but like it's not like also a thing that i found when i was researching this that i thought was interesting is um like psychologists were like why don't people care about this? And um, one of them was just like, it's the same reason people don't really care about most major issues, which is that you always assume it's going to happen to someone else, not you. Like, oh yeah, yeah, people get in car accidents, but someone else is going to get in a fatal car accident, not me. Uh, someone else will get COVID. Right, exactly. Someone else will get COVID, not Or me. if like, if I do get COVID, it won't be so bad. Right. Like we know these things are happening, but we tend to like overestimate the extent to which the odds are in our individual favor. Yeah. And you know, you know, it's just not as much like, oh, well, I don't like want other people to suffer, even though I might. Right. Right. I might not, you know. Yeah. I don't want anybody to die in a horrific car accident. But that's not like a common thing here when you talk to people. They're just like about like big policies. They're like, oh yeah, that sucks. Oh. I don't think it'll happen to me, though. And it's like, well, that's not the point whether it happens to you. Right, exactly. Because things that even if it anybody. also, even, like, even if it doesn't happen to you, the echoes and repercussions of it happening to other people in a large amount actually do reverberate back onto you. But you don't realize it. You you see this in in congestion. You see this in, you know, even traffic delays and stuff. Like, you see right. this or, like in um healthcare and all like, like all these reverberations that don't that aren't like as ugh, I hate to word it as sexy or yeah. noticeable where it's just like you know if it were an action movie problem people would be like yeah <laughs> right no no it's totally true because it's like people yeah they like unfortunately if you can't convince somebody to just care about other people because basic human empathy and you should care about other people like even from a selfish perspective what we find time and time again with these systemic issues is that like no your life would actually be better if we took the time to address these things yeah sometimes i'm like okay even if you don't give a shit about other people like maybe you should because it's like it'll benefit you bro yeah exactly yeah but you know it's I don't know. I don't know what it is. I guess it's, I was like thinking like, what is it that makes it so that we don't want to change anything here? And it's the same things we talk about all the time. You know, we talk about how people feel like, well, what if we change it? It it might might be worse. Or people think about like, well, you can't change it. It's all pointless. Uh, It's impossible to change anything. So we won't even try. Or, you know, it's capitalism and people benefit from capitalism being in place and they don't want to alter capitalism. It's like people selling giant mega trucks and SUVs don't want to hear that they need to redesign everything from the ground up because that costs more money. Yeah, or it's just the basic, like, 
yeah, I fucking work 40 to 80 hours a week. I'm tired. Right. Like, I don't have time to research all this. I don't have time to fucking think about this shit. Right. But, you know, I have time. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I mean, like... And that's why we have a podcast. So nobody else has to spend the time. We'll spend the time for you. Well, it's just like, and like, you know, it's it's hard because, like, there are people who are working towards this. Yeah, for for sure. But there's also just, like, this huge wall of, like, corporations, lobbyists... Um, you know, people who benefit from the system staying in place. Also, the laws in our country, uh, the way that the government is set up, like, it does not represent everybody. Like, right. Which is, like, a whole other thing. Like, the way that the electoral system is not set up so people can easily participate. Yeah, it's totally true. I feel like, I think the things that are, like, easy to do on an individual level, like, for me anyway, it's like, oh, okay, I learn about this. And I'm like, okay, well, the first, like, what do I do now? What do I do? How can I do anything? Uh, you know, like, I'm just a person. And the first thing is, like, well, I can alter my behavior. I'm probably not going to drive as fast anymore after doing the research on this episode. Good. Yes. And two, I'm not going to do the roadside amphetamines anymore to keep me awake. <laughs> please, please don't. But I'm not going to do that one. That sounds risky. Um, my phone is probably going to be real far away every time I'm driving. It's not like I'm like, you know, doing much on my phone usually, but I'm going to put that pretty far away. I think when I drive and I think just like for just like supporting in your local community, any efforts towards increased public transportation, increased like urban density, like, um, you know, getting rid of like the antiquated zoning laws in some places like we have here in LA that mean that people don't want to build vertical housing and add more housing, like to be like, no, like I'm not going to support that because I see the reverberation effects of that throughout my entire community. You know, all these little things that you can do. Oh, increasing like support for walkable spaces. Like um, here in LA off of Sunset over in, I call it Sleco. It's Silver Lake Echo Park area. Mm. There was that area by... um El Condor, the Mexican restaurant, and they, it used to be a street, and there's, like, a church over there, and they um, turned it, they converted this little triangle patch into, like, a walkable space, Mm. and when that first happened, I was really annoyed, because I used to always take that street. It was, like, my shortcut when I was a personal assistant to get to work, and then they made it, like, no more a street. Now it's just, like, this walkable courtyard area for these little businesses, and now, after doing this research, I'm like, oh, that was actually a good thing that happened there. Yeah, I just think about Oh, especially that five-way intersection on Sunset and Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, that one's gnarly. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I, you know, I feel like the little things that are easy to do is just um, to have the perspective and, like, assess information you encounter through that new perspective. Like, I know that's what I do every time I research an episode. After yeah. it, whatever I learn, I'm like, oh, that's that gives me some fresh info through which to view the world. Yeah. And... Maybe to be more conscious of just how freaking dangerous road trips are. Oh, so dangerous. So dangerous. And, you know, I've got a hybrid car. It doesn't use a ton of gas, but it still uses gas. That can't be good for the planet either. Mm. I need a canoe. <laughs> That's how I'm going to get around from now on on my vacations. I'm just going to canoe I approve. <laughs> the coast of California. <laughs> <laughs> I think we did it. I think that's the episode. Thanks so much for listening to us. If you would like to support... Um, you can go to patreon.com slash pickmeupimscared and for as little as $2 a month you can leave us messages hear bonus episodes and uh, we might even uh, give you some advice I don't know 
Um, also, you can leave us a review wherever you can leave podcast reviews or not. We're just so glad you're here. Thank you.